media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Over the last several years, it's not surprising that uh, there's been, uh, I think, emergence more and more and more of uh, what I would uh, what they claim to be as fact checkers. Have you noticed that? Like with political things that, you know, after a political speech or after something that goes on that they will have in the news the next day, fact checker, and they'll kind of come in there. And, and I don't know about you, but I really appreciate that in a world that is highly politicized and a world that is highly emotional and all that, that somebody would say, okay, what are the real facts? But here's the inherent problem with this. Have you noticed perhaps, or is it a sense of you, or is it just my whole skepticism that even the fact checkers need fact checking today? That where's the, where's the source of ultimate truth? Because I really do think that there's a deep, deep desire for us to know truth. Because I think then we can make responsible decisions. We can kind of do things that, that are led by truth and by the very convictions that we have at that point. And yet we live in a world where, uh, I mean, I, I learned in my undergraduate degree, in marketing, we took a class on statistics and surveying and all that. And you can make statistics say whatever you want them to say. And we live in that kind of world. And so we're searching for this truth. We, we just want to know, okay, not this opinion because of this motivation, not this opinion because of this motivation. What is the reality? This morning, that's really kind of what we face in the scripture that's before them. This need for unbiased people to, to come forth or uh, unbiased truth to come forth and just tell us without prejudice, but without uh, an end in mind of their own persuasion, what is truth? See, when you have to start checking the fact checkers, you'll know that you kind of live in a world where we are left in kind of a, this mystery and, and the seeking the truth becomes more and more difficult. In Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44, Jesus is wrapping up his public ministry and his public teaching. He just stays before the cross. And uh, there's still going to be some private time where he's going to teach the disciples, kind of just in the intimacy of the disciples and Jesus. Uh, that's the whole next chapter as he talked about the end times. For the next three weeks, we'll be talking about what Jesus said about what the end times look like and what he didn't say. Uh, and then there, we're going to have the occasion where the woman comes in and takes a very, very expensive nard and ointment and begins to anoint Christ. And, and so there's a little bit of more teachings before we go and get into the, the heavy drama of his betrayal and his arrest and his mock trials and all those things that are coming up. And so this is a really important teaching because he's on this Tuesday before his death, he uh, is really kind of summarizing the need of the people. And he brings out a final truth. And, and when Jesus gives us truth, folks, here's the one fact checker that we can trust. The word of God is the fact checker that we can trust. And all the persuasions of the world and all the things that are kind of twisted truth out there, when we come and if we truly believe that this is the word of God and that Christ was the son of God, that when he spoke, he was speaking complete truth. And that truth unveiled some things that sometimes gave false appearances. We've seen throughout his ministry, and especially in these closing days, more and more of an aggravation that he has against the, the religious elite. 
And it's not that he just doesn't like those people. It's just that he, he doesn't like what they stand for, the hypocrisy. That somehow they've been given this responsibility of serving the people, and yet now they've turned it into the people serving them. And so he calls them on all these different things. When you look in your Bible to, to Mark chapter 12, through the finish of that chapter, how many of you have Bibles that broke that into three different sections? Do you kind of have three different sections? In the ESV it does. It breaks into, okay, here's something that Jesus is going to say about this. But this is one of the favorite things that Mark does, or one of my favorite things, that he takes three things that seemingly are unrelated, and he umbrellas them in one big relationship. We've seen that throughout our study of Mark, that he takes things that are going, okay, I don't know that this belongs with this, or this belongs with that. And all of a sudden, we see this overriding truth, and that's what we're going to see as Jesus completes his public teaching ministry today, that he gets... Uh, three seemingly different things and brings them together uh, to, to illustrate one truth. The people of that day had three false judgments based on appearance that he's going to address. The one, first one, they had misjudged Christ, that is Jesus. Uh, they didn't think that he was the, you know, really going to be the king, that he wasn't the Messiah. He certainly wasn't the king that they wanted. Okay, So that was the first false thing that he's correcting. The second thing, uh, they had misjudged the religious leaders because they had clear, cleverly hid their real motives. Their uh, purpose was to come and serve the people, and again, they had turned and began to be served by the people. And the third one is uh, a famous story of this poor widow that comes. She doesn't have anything. The two coins that she has is not even worth one-sixth of a cent. I mean, it is the, the lowest denomination that you could have. And yet she puts it in the offering that day, and Jesus makes remarks about her. Three things that really seem to be kind of different, and yet Jesus kind of bundles them together with the purpose, let me tell you about truth. Jesus comes along, and basically the ultimate fact checker, Jesus Christ, shows the truth about these three things. His ultimate purpose is that, that when we see truth and we acknowledge truth in our lives, and we begin to see it clearly, it's, uh, it's amazing how all of a sudden the things that God made us for become crystal clear. Now, let me give you an example of that. In the songs that we sang this morning, let's just take the last one because it's probably the most familiar out of those three. How does that song, How Great Thou Art, bring a clarity to your vision? Did it bring some emotional rest this morning, even for that moment? Did it bring some clarity in thought and process in a really scary world right now? In a world that seems to be falling apart at every scene, that all of a sudden it brings back truth? See, that's what truth does. It's kind of like if you went, if you, you know, began to see things that were kind of blurry, and uh, this happens when you get older, the, the things that used to be crystal clear on the page now become blurry. And so you go to uh, the, the eye doctor and they do all these tests and they said, okay, here, here's some glasses and, and you'd be wise to wear these. And all of a sudden those things that, I mean, I, I would not be able to read this page right now. That's really scary. But, uh, <laughs> but I put on the glasses and also there's some clarity, <laughs> not complete clarity, but all of a sudden you see with clarity. That's what truth does. Instead of seeing the fuzziness or the slantedness, all of a sudden we begin to see truth for what it is. And, and when we see this, especially in, in God's word, it brings a calm to the storm. It brings a hope where there is despair. 
Now, Jesus begins, there's going to be three different sections here. In the first section of him declaring truth or clarity or that, you know, to, to not believe what appears to be true, he begins to talk about himself. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 35. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you, this is not how we would actually word a sentence in these days. It's kind of, when you read these three sentences together and what Jesus says, um, it doesn't just jump out what he's talking about. It's, it's kind of, it's not that he's unclear. It's just not the verbiage that we would probably use. Look what he says. And as Jesus told in the temple, he said, how can the scribes, that's religious leaders, say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, what is he asking there? Matthew asks it, in Matthew's gospel, he, he's a little bit more of the verbiage that we would use. Matthew says, what, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they respond in Matthew's gospel, David's. And so what appears to be, okay, you're just a man. And yes, you are of the lineage of David, but you're just a man. And Jesus is basically asking, you're looking for a Messiah that comes from a man, uh, not one from that comes from God. You, you see my humanity, but you do not see my deity. And so he begins to ask them about this, just so that they can get a frame of reference in their mind of where they appear, of what appears to be true, and what reality is. Because right after that, he quotes from Psalms one ten verse one. And look at verse 36, he said, David himself, this is Jesus talking, David himself in the Holy Spirit, in other words, in the word of God, influenced by God, this is God's truth, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And before anybody answers or responds to that, look what he says in verse 37. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Now, how many would be admit that those three verses, that even after reading them, it's still pretty unclear? It's kind of like, what, what is this point? Let me try to summarize without doing injustice to the word of God, okay? It's a, a very confusing passage, not because of what Jesus is trying to say or what he's declaring, but simply the way that he says it here. And, and I'm not trying to criticize the way that the word of God is laid out. But they were looking for an earthly kingdom, uh, king, and they were looking for somebody that was just a greater David. We've seen that for months now, that this is their desire. They did not want a heavenly king, and he said, no, my kingdom is not of this world. So what he's really pointing out is, look, you've made a judgment about me based on appearance. And sure, I don't look like the ultimate king in human form. And even Isaiah prophesies that Jesus wasn't going to be much to look at. It's always been a surprising passage to me that that prophecy, in other words, he probably was not this, oh, man, and he probably wasn't on the cover of GQ or whatever it would have been back in those days. It's not like he was this example of, you know, bigger muscles than anybody else, taller than anybody else, and all those kind of things. He wasn't much to look at, Isaiah prophesied. But he's the son of the living God. But beyond just the appearances of the service, what he was about didn't appear to be what they wanted to... They wanted somebody to fix their earthly problems. Here's the relevance of this, guys. What Jesus is proclaiming here, even though he's using kind of a wordy way to do it, is I am both God and man. I am the Messiah. 
And you've made judgments based on your own desires and your own kind of interpretation, and you've made a false assessment. Could that happen to us, even on the things of Christ? I mean, how does that apply to us today? What does that mean to us? I think it could, because very simply, by recognizing how easy it is to to want a Jesus to fix our problems instead of looking upon the Jesus that fixed our problem, our real problem, and that's our sin problem. I mean, how easy it is for me to look into my own life and say, okay, God, you know, would you, would you fix this? Especially when it comes to our children or people that we love or different things like that, our viability. You know, maybe there all of a sudden is a, a question of you're going to have your job and, and yet you're the main breadwinner of the family. And so you begin to pray about that. Is it appropriate to pray for those things? Yes, yes. He never tells us not to pray for those things that are appropriate, that are good. But is Jesus ultimately the problem fixer? Or is he the Messiah that came to die so that I could have a right relationship with the Holy God? We need to make sure that we don't reverse that, guys. Please understand, I do believe that Christ is so sympathetic to my needs on a regular basis. He is a, a caring, compassionate, loving Savior. But the Apostle Paul said it really well. He said, you know, if I didn't, Bobby's paraphrase, <laughs> if I didn't have anything else, the fact that he saved me, I have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. But that's really hard to keep that as the main thing when we have all these other problems around us. It is so easy to get distracted. It is so easy for us, follow this, guys, to have a false appearance of our Messiah when he didn't fix last week's problem in our own life. Agreed? But would, would you admit that we really want a problem fixer? And here's the problem of the day. When Jesus said, I fixed the problem. Hey, 2,000 years ago, I fixed your problem, Bobby. And I hung on a cross for your sins. and made you right with a, a holy and righteous God. And so he shows the truth so easy to fall into that trap. It's so easy even for us as Christians to have this false understanding of Christ that he is primarily concerned about fixing all of our problems instead of fixing the one problem that was most concerning to him. And that is how you and I can have right relationship with him. Look at the next verse. So the first one, he kind of clarifies, hey, this is who I am. You have this false perception of me. Let me tell you the truth. Then he goes on to the next set. Verse, what's the first verse of Christ in verse 38 in your, in your word? Not of the verse, but what, when Jesus begins to talk. Beware. Beware. So he begins to talk and, and he says, beware of what? Beware of the scribes. Why? Because many of them had become the very picture of self-centeredness, self-serving, uh, self-sufficiency, and they had a heart that longed to be served rather than to serve. Look what it says in verse 38 and 39. And in his teaching, he said, that is, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast. Now, why is he pointing those things out? He's pointing out three things there. He says, okay, here's the appearance that you have of these religious leaders. He said, number one, they wear long robes. Why? So that they can be recognized. Their robes were a little bit bigger, I mean, a little bit longer, a little bit nicer, 
a little bit more detailed, a little bit more, you know, it wasn't a t-shirt. You know, they had really nice robes and it made them stand out. Well, what was the purpose of that? So that like in the second one, in the marketplace, oh, there's the scribe, there's the Pharisee. They did it for self-recognition so that people would recognize them and see that they were part of the elite. And then the third thing it says, they sat in the best seat so that they could be rewarded. Recognized, respected, and rewarded. That was their desire, and this is what their heart had become. They wanted those things in their lives. What was their calling? Lead the people of God into the things of righteousness. Lead them, you serve the people. And you, in thus doing, you, you've served God. And they have turned that around a thousand percent. In fact, to add to the list, Jesus even points out in the next verse, verse 40, about how they were actually kind of stealing the homes of widows. Look what it says in verse 40. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. See that word pretense? I don't know what your version says, but it's a false appearance. They pray really, really long prayers. And you think, man, these are spiritual people. These people walk with God. They're just like this with God. Because listen to that prayer. And he said, but at the same time, you're stealing widows' houses. They will receive a greater condemnation. Jesus says, okay, I'm telling you the truth. And I'm going to tell you the truth is their false appearance, their hypocrisy, but they will receive a greater condemnation because of that. See, the scribes were not allowed to charge for their services. They didn't really get paid. They were supposed to be just serving the people. That's how it was all set up. But they were allowed to have donations. Well, they had kind of made the the system work for them that they would go to widows after a husband would pass away, and maybe now it was hers, and they would work it to where eventually they would acquire that property. I mean, what would you think? What What, what would you think? Let's just put myself in that. If we had a widow in in the church and you found out that I had worked as I ministered to her and had long prayers, that she had signed over, that I had gotten her to sign over her house to me. I mean, do, do you see what's happening here, guys? And Jesus calls it out. He's the fact checker. Man, on the outside, you look really, really good, but, but I'm, I know the facts, and John's just telling you the facts. By appearance, they looked holy, but in truth, they were very corrupt. They prayed long prayers so they would have this uh, appearance of spirituality, and yet their, their hearts were very far from God. Again, in Matthew's gospel, he goes into a little bit more detail where Jesus, I mean, where Mark just kind of sums it up. Remember, Mark is the shortest of all the gospels. He's kind of the guy who's ready to get to the crucifixion really, really fast and the resurrection really, really fast. But Matthew spends a whole chapter detailing what Jesus does in just a couple verses here. Let me pick out just a few of the comments of Matthew. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And here's my simple advice. Anytime that God says, woe to you, listen, Get that fact check and, and respond, repent, and, and turn away from that, okay? Because those are not words that you want to hear from God. Woe to you, Bobby. I need to really listen at that point. And, and so he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He's a fact checker. 
For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. And on the outside, that bowl looks really pretty that you, I'm just telling you, it's corrupt on the inside. Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Fact checker? Here's the appearance, and and a lot of people, they followed the Pharisees and the religious leaders because they were taught to do so, and and so they had this appearance like, okay, they they gave us all these laws, and they tell us to do this and this, and and we should listen to them because they're right, and just look how holy they are, and Jesus says, that's not your hearts at all. You've gone from this commission to serve people to now corrupting the people to serve you. Then we get to this last passage. He he finally has one more teaching. He's taught about himself. He's taught about the religious leaders. And now this person comes in that nobody would have ever noticed, I believe, if Christ had not pointed her out. I don't know that she would have even been a blip on the radar of anybody's notice that particular day. But Jesus goes over and he sits down and he points across. And you have to understand that the temple was a really huge place. And in the temple, there was a place that you gave your offering. We don't take up an offering here. We have a place in the back where you can put it in the, the box. Okay, you just you put it in there. Well, in the temple of those days, they had these places where you could come, and they all looked like it was 13 different trumpet-shaped offering tins. And so think of a trumpet that kind of has an opening. So as you go by, you could put your, your money in. Well, they didn't have paper money in those days. They didn't write checks. Guess what kind of money they had? Coins. And what happens if you just would take coins and you put it into something like a tuba, you know, and the opening of the tuba and you put it out there. Have you ever been to Kroger and done your change there and that little change thing? Is it noisy? Yeah, because you've got all these coins and it's shifting all those coins and it's counting all your coins, quarters, dimes, and nickels, and it's making all this noise. And it says, okay, you have $33.12. But it makes a lot of noise. That's kind of what was going on here. That in these offering things, 13 different ones that you could go buy and you could throw your money in. And there were people that were there like Kroger. You, I mean, for five minutes, you just heard the money going in. They were making, they gave a lot. And he's not condemning that they gave a lot. But all of a sudden, this widow comes in. And if there was any background noise whatsoever, you would have never even heard her too little. Smallest denomination that they had, it's called a, a, a lepta, and, and it was one-sixth of a cent, and she drops in two of those. You would not even have heard it if there was any background noise, and I promise you there was a lot of background noise. And what does Jesus say? Look at verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasurer and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. They made a lot of noise. Verse 42, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. He contrasts this. They give their attention. They would not even notice her. How do I say this without, please hear my heart on this. Are there people that we never notice? Unfortunately. This is one of those ladies. You just would not have noticed her. She, she would have been a shadow of herself. 
And yet Jesus points her out, and all of a sudden she is the focal point of attention. Because Jesus is trying to, to say, okay, the false appearance here is that this lady doesn't even exist. The false appearance is this lady is not like even contributing. The false appearance is that she is not making a difference whatsoever. And, and in reality, there was a part of that that what she gave that day would not have made a difference in anybody's life. I mean, if I gave you a penny today, would that change your forever? Hey man, I just love you. Here's a penny. In fact, here's two. You go, man, my whole future has changed now. I got these two pennies. On appearance, it seems like this is not life-changing whatsoever. And yet this is the very thing that Jesus wants to bring fact-checking to, truth to. Verse 43. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly, if you have the King James this morning, verily, verily. I love my King James. <laughs> this is one of those verily, verily moments. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing in the offering box. For they have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. What's the first word that he says? Truly. He's a fact checker. And he's not coming biased from this persuasion or that persuasion. He's not coming from, oh man, she doesn't mean anything. Look at her. She's just, she's impoverished. In fact, there would have been probably some that maybe in their own mindset would say, you really don't need to give. You need to keep that. This is all you have to live on. Truly, God says, truly. Folks, there is a fact checker in this world. And his name is Jesus. And he tells us the truth. So that when false appearances come and we start to make persuasions of, a, oh my goodness, you just need to keep that, okay? Please keep that. We don't, we don't want you to contribute. I could see myself saying that to somebody. If they came in and I knew that it was truly their last dollar and they wanted to put in the offering plate, I'd be like, yeah, well, please, you know, don't do that. Keep that. In fact, here's ten more. And somehow we're, we're thinking we're serving there, and, and we would have right motives, but it would be a wrong appearance. Because he just said, she is the one who contributed more than anybody else this morning. Their eyes and their hearts and their minds had deceived them. Can your heart, your mind, and your eyes deceive you? Taylor, remember discipleship two weeks ago? I mean, there's not a whole bunch of people in Waffle House at 515, 530 in the morning, okay? We're sitting there, and this group came in, and all of a sudden, they're kind of loud. And uh, I didn't say anything. Taylor didn't say anything. We're just kind of sitting there and doing our Bible study and kind of talking, and they were kind of loud. They, they, they weren't you know, over the top saying anything that we noticed that, you know, as far as, oh man, that's just terrible. Look at these terrible people. But they, they were not the picture of people that you're going, man, they are churchgoers right there. You know, that, that right there is a picture of churchgoers. It was a young, young group of three people. Guy brings their breakfast over. And they bow and they pray. And it wasn't a short prayer. And I didn't hear their prayer. But they prayed, it was a pretty long prayer. 
I said, Taylor, my goodness. I, I said, I just have to confess. I didn't judge those people as being, you know, they need Jesus. And they just talked to Jesus. How many other people prayed that morning before they ate their meal? And there was just this conviction in my heart, like, my goodness, how easy it is for the head, the mind, the eyes to be deceived. I don't know what's in their heart. Jesus says, don't, you can't trust everything your eyes see, everything that your mind tells you, everything that your, your feelings. He said, always, you need a fact checker in your life. And, and he said, I, I will give you the facts. This is the word of God. This is the Holy Spirit in our lives, giving us the facts about what really matters. Look at verse 44 again. But out of her poverty, she has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Sometimes people, uh, I know pastors have taken this and said, okay, this is about, you know, our giving and all those kind of things. And it has that application. I'm not denying that. This is not a passage about money, guys. Okay. So if I ever preach this in terms of financial giving, please correct me. Say, pastor, come here. (laughs) Is there a principle there? Yes. But it's the principle of the heart, not of the dollars. And so what he says is, I just want you to know this, this woman's heart is fully, trust me, she does not know how she's going to provide for herself tomorrow. That's basically what it says. She gave everything she had, all that she had to live on. She has left no security for herself in her own pocket. She has placed all of her security and her faith in a loving God. I want to be like her. I mean, how many, do we try to make sure that, okay, God, again, don't think of this just in dollars and cents, but it's just in our lives. Okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this and this and this, but I'm going to make sure that I have this safety net over here. Again, don't think of just in dollars and cents. Think about everything, children. Think about your relationship and your spouse. Think about all the things of life that we just like a lot of security. We're hedging our bets. This woman didn't hedge her bets, and he told the truth about her that day. He said, that woman gave more than anybody else. That person that was over there, and for five minutes, it sounded like that Kroger coin machine, said, did not even begin to touch what this lady gave that you didn't even hear when it hit, the metal hit the offering plate. Do you think that the do you think that if the the ultimate fact checker printed in the news tomorrow the status of the facts of our lives that that would be a glad story i I'm not saying that to make us feel bad this morning, but just the reality of if our hearts were really revealed. I think many would, you know, they would be revealed. Man, they, they love Jesus. I hope that would be revealed about my heart. But you know what else would be revealed? But he's hedging the bets. <laughs> he's keeping some security around him. He hasn't given all. Again, don't think money. Don't think money here. Think life. Think heart. Think commitment. He hasn't given all that he has to live on. And trusted me entirely. That's what the fact checker news would say tomorrow about your pastor. It's 
Here's the really good news. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I have not surprised God one time. Not one time have I surprised God by my sin. Man, if I knew you were going to do that, forget dying on the cross for you. No. He knows everything. He's the true fact checker. He knows everything about my heart, my wayward mind, my, my, my safety nets, the, all this. He knows everything about me. And he says, I love you. And, and, and I, I will give my life so that you can know the one that created you, so that you can be restored into a right relationship with a father who knows the number of hairs on your head. Is this great or what, guys? False appearances. All of us have an element of false appearances. It could be hypocrisy. It could be this, that, and the other. We all have this element, and yet we have this opportunity to go to the ultimate fact checker that will always tell you the truth. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, will always tell you the truth about two things. The truth about himself and the truth about us. And that's what he did in these three situations. He said, here's the truth about me, and here's the truth about you. And the good news of the gospel is that God knows the total truth about you and he totally committed himself so that you could know him. This is what gives us joy. This is what gives us hope. Not somehow that people are going to believe that there's going to be this vote in heaven. How many of y'all thought that he was kind of a holy person? I promise you now, there will be people in heaven that will say that you will go, what? And there will be people in heaven looking at you, pointing your way, going, what? (laughs) You made it? (laughs) But by the blood of Jesus Christ, and only by the blood of Jesus Christ, I so desire a fact checker in this crazy world that we live in. And I want you to know this morning, guys, that you have one. You have one. That God, through his spirit, through his word, and through the embodiment of Christ, has given you every opportunity to know truth, and that truth to set you free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. And Father, we take this uh, passage, and as Jesus begins to wrap up his ministry, Father, we begin to... It would be easy to kind of divide these three stories out. And and yet, Father, thank you that you inspired Mark to to write them in such a way that even though they look on the the surface that they really don't kind of belong together, they are talking and speaking of this ultimate truth. Thank you, Father, of this good news of the gospel. Thank you so much. Then a world, Father, where it is so discouraging at times that you will tell us the truth about yourself and the truth about us. But more than that, Father, that when we know this truth about your holiness and we know this truth about our sinfulness, that, Father, just left at that, it would be the ultimate of all despairs. And yet you finish the story and you tell us of this one, a Savior that you have sent to die for our sins, this Lamb of God that has come as the final sacrifice so that we might have opportunity to be restored into right relationship with you. 
Father, thank you for finishing the story and telling us the truth. And now, Father, we close this morning in worship of you. And Father, in just a desire to appreciate every day and every moment the beauty of this Lamb of God. We love you and thank you. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.